Welcome, I am Leanne Krawcheck. And I'm Robin Long. And together, we are your hosts for the Get the Dirt in Mining, a podcast series brought to you by the Denton's Mining Group. This podcast series covers various topics in the mining sector and aims to provide you with small segments that you can listen to on the go. You can find our episodes at www.dentons.com on our podcast page. There, you can access our episodes as well as an episode description for each topic and information on our speakers. And now, over to our podcast topic and speakers. As I talk about M&A perspectives today on sale and investor solicitation processes conducted by mining issuers, I'm going to give an overview of the process that you can expect as a potential bidder in the process. First of all, we have been seeing a lot of mining issuers going into CCAA over 2019 and 2020. Mining issuers who had projects ranging from aggregate, silica, zinc, lithium, coal, and diamonds in BC, Alberta, the Northwest Territories, Ontario, and Quebec. These issuers sought protection from their creditors under the Companies Creditor Arrangement Act, or which I will call the CCAA, and they conducted CIS processes, or sale or investor solicitation processes, in many cases involving multi-million dollar transactions spanning six months to a year. So what can you expect if you want to participate in one of these processes? First of all, the CIS process is a court supervised process under which the mining company who is insolvent will be seeking approval of the court to have a stay of creditors claims and also seeking an order that it be permitted to conduct this CIS process where it essentially will solicit interest by prospective purchasers or investors in either a sale transaction or an investment of equity or debt in a refinancing restructuring. I will primarily be talking about sale processes as that are that is primarily what I have seen close in the last couple of years. So firstly, uh, the company, the mining company will file for creditor protection. If they're a public company, you will likely hear about this by way of press release. Often it, CCAA proceedings of large mining companies will also be uh, made available in various news publications. At the time of the CCAA order, a monitor will also be appointed, typically an accounting firm or a boutique firm who specializes in providing monitoring and supervising services of CCAA companies. The, once the order is granted, the mining company will apply to the court for the actual CISP approval order, together with the procedures that will govern the sale and solicitation process. The court will be asked to make a determination that it is in the best interest of the company and its stakeholders to carry out such a process. The CISP approval order will often also um, approve the appointment of one or more financial advisors to the insolvent company. The solicitation of prospective bidders then will start following the issuance of the CISP approval order. The company in consultation with the monitor and the financial advisor will develop a list of prospective bidders 
or purchasers and send them teaser materials about the company. This may also be advertised in the newspapers or industry publications. And again, if the mining company is a public reporting issuer in Canada, it will typically file a press release that will be filed on CEDAR announcing the commencement of its CISP process. The, uh, from a practical perspective, if you as a mining company are interested in picking up strategic assets or your private equity investor, this might be the time to call up your uh, contacts at the various accounting and boutique firms, advising them that if they are getting retained in the next year to act on assist, that you would really love for your name to be put down on their prospective bidders list for mining deals. In order to participate in this process, as a participant, you need to then obtain a copy of the confidentiality agreement from the monitor. As part of the process, a participant will also be asked to sign an acknowledgement to be bound by the CISP order and procedures. Upon signing the confidentiality agreement, that is when you will obtain access to the electronic data room. Um, that data room will contain a lot of confidential information about the insolvent mining company, um, and it may be a stage process. You may only gain access to a portion of the data room, and instead, stage two of the data room access may only be granted once you become a qualified bidder. You may also at this time receive a confidential information memorandum from the monitor regarding more information about the company. It's very important at this stage to pay careful attention to the deadlines and requirements in the CIS procedure and approval order. In particular, you will first want to determine what is the deadline for submitting letters of intent, because that is the only way in which you can then participate in the process. So the sooner that you obtain a copy of the confidentiality agreement and CIS procedure orders, the more time you will have to conduct diligence in the data site and prepare your letter of intent by the letter of intent deadline. Again, these deadlines are set in the CIS approval order and are only subject to change if a, an additional court order was obtained amending them. The LOI stage is a non-binding stage. The, there is no deposit due at this stage but you must, very, you must pay a lot of attention to the requirements in the CISP for what needs to be in the letter of intent. It would not be appropriate to just take the letters of intent you've used for five other deals and assume that they will work for this process. The CISP will have a lot of requirements in order for your letter of intent to qualify. Examples of that might be information relating to the direct and indirect owners of the prospective bidder, including their ownership structure and shareholdings, the structure and financing of your proposed offer, any remaining diligence that you would have to do in order to submit an, an eventual final bid, any anticipated regulatory approvals that you as a potential purchaser may have to obtain, it, you will also typically set out any material closing conditions. You will need to set out a list of the liabilities that you are willing to assume. And of course, you need to identify the assets and contracts that you would be willing to take on. And most importantly, you will have to provide a range of a purchase price, a high and a low, 
in your non-binding offer. So once all the LOIs are submitted by the LOI deadline, the monitor together with the company and the financial advisors will review them against, against provisions in the CISP that detail what they're looking for. So first and foremost, does the letter of intent comply with the requirements of the CISP order and procedures? Does it appear that the offer in the letter of intent would be in the best interest of the company and its stakeholders? As well, they will be focused on whether or not you as a potential purchaser have the requisite financial capacity and experience to actually close a transaction of the size contemplated. Now, during this time, the monitor and the company together with the financial advisor will have been preparing in the background a template asset purchase agreement. It will then be posted to the data room. If your LOI meets the requirements and you are then identified as being a qualified bidder, you will then be contacted and receive additional access to the data site, including now the opportunity to review the template asset purchase agreement. Now, the next important date is what is the date for submitting your binding bid? Um, and that is, again, a very important date, uh, will not be subject to change unless an additional court order is obtained by the monitor changing it. During this period, you will be conducting full M&A type diligence of all the documents in the data room. You may be conducting public searches. You may be conducting a site visit. You will most definitely be reviewing the Blackline template asset purchase agreement and preparing schedules in order to be able to submit your binding bid by the bid deadline. Typically to be a qualified bid, the bid must be binding and irrevocable for a stipulated period of days, often 45 to 60 days or longer. It must be accompanied by a refundable deposit usually cash of five or 10% of the purchase price in your bid. Your bid cannot be contingent on obtaining financing or the outcome of additional diligence. You cannot request a breakup fee or termination fee, and you will have to provide a black line to the template asset purchase agreement of all your proposed changes in, in respect of your bid as well as full completed schedules. Again, once the bid deadline arrives, the monitor together with the financial advisor and the company will review all of the submitted bids. Firstly, they will determine, do they comply with the CISP requirements? Secondly, they will assess the type and amount of consideration being provided by the bidder, obviously the purchase price, they will also pay particular attention to the nature of the liabilities that you are willing to assume and those you will not. They will look at the planned treatment of stakeholders in your proposed bid. And of course, they're going to be taking a careful review of your markup of the asset purchase agreement. As well, they will look at which specific regulatory type approvals are specific to you as a bidder that may affect your ability to close or close promptly, such as Competition Act or Investment Canada Act approvals that Sandy Walker will be talking about following me. 
In the event they determine that there is more than one bid that meets the qualifications and that appears to be in the best interests of the company and the stakeholders, they will then likely conduct an auction. The auction procedures will also have been set out in the SIS and will typically involve the ability to have an open and transparent auction, whether that is in person at the office of the monitor or could be conducted by video conference. Participants in the auction process will then learn the identity of the other auction participants, as well as the other bid prices and the terms of those bids. Once it is determined, um, whether through auction or through the initial determination that there was only one successful bid, the monitor will then advise the successful bidder that their bid has been chosen. However, in order to become the final successful bid, the monitor and the company will have to make an application to the court for the court to approve that bid as a successful bid and the asset purchase agreement. What they are looking for at this time is what is commonly called an approval and vesting order. That court order will then approve the successful bid in accordance with the asset purchase agreement that was finally agreed to by the parties and will also authorize the company to enter into all necessary agreements and steps to affect the transaction in accordance with the purchase agreement. The approval and vesting order is a complex and detailed document. It takes a lot of time and negotiation among counsel for the monitor, the mining company, and the purchaser because it must set out all the steps and requirements to affect the transaction and also deals with the vesting of the assets in the purchaser and the vesting off of encumbrances in accordance with the asset purchase agreement. And it may also approve various pre-closing and pre and closing steps. Now, the approval investing order is an order of the court, so it is subject to appeal. This can therefore delay the time period between obtaining the approval investing order from the court and the actual closing. You may also be waiting for other regulatory approvals or time periods to lapse under the Investment Canada Act or the Competition Act. As well, the parties do not typically start drafting all of the ancillary closing documents until they have received the approval and vesting order. So therefore, the time period between obtaining the approval and vesting order and the actual closing of the transaction can often occur one to two months later. At the time of the closing, this is when the deposit of the successful bidder is applied against the purchase price and all other deposits of the unsuccessful bidders are returned. The actual vesting of the assets in the purchaser will then occur on the filing of the final monitor certificate. The monitor certificate must confirm that the monitor has received the final purchase price and that all closing conditions of both the vendor and the buyer have been satisfied. In a perfect world, if you were to close the transaction in the morning, the monitor certificate would be filed that same afternoon. Often there may be a day delay depending on the closing time. An important uh, I, concept as well for CCAA transactions, um, unlike negotiated transactions, is that in dealing with a company in CCAA who is insolvent, these transactions are done on an as is, where is basis, all faults, 
There is no need to negotiate vendor indemnities or caps on indemnities or materiality scrapes or exclusions to caps, given that the reps and warranties of the vendor company will not survive closing. Furthermore, the vendor's reps and warranties are typically limited to five or six key reps and warranties. The organization and corporate power of the parties to the transaction, the authorization and binding effect of the agreements on each party. There will typically be a rep that there are no other regulatory approvals other than the approval investing order or is stated in the, in the schedule to the asset purchase agreement, such as Competition Act or Investment Canada Act approval. And often tax reps are included solely related to GST registration. You may also sometimes obtain a rep from the vendor relating to the Competition Act thresholds. Although many CIS procedures indicate that the time period for commencing and closing the process will often take six months, in actual fact, in our experience, we have seen many of these processes last eight to 12 months. The court process is certainly complex. It adds a layer of complexity, cost and uncertainty, but it's also very creative. And in addition to seeing asset purchase agreements, share purchase agreements in very novel transactions have also emerged in recent time. Lastly, I just want to touch on the term stocking horse sale process. Um, a stocking horse uh, can emerge in a CIS process. Um, so basically the process is as I've stated. Um, the only difference would be that the CIS procedures also include a, a, basically a, a time period for where a qualified bidder can become the stocking horse prior to the bid closing. And the stocking horse is essentially a qualified bidder with whom a binding purchase and sale agreement is entered into that then sets the floor price for all of the final other bids. So for example, if you were a qualified bidder, you pass the LOI stage, and you have two months before you have to submit your binding offer. Imagine that a month into that process, as you've been reviewing the asset purchase agreement template, all of a sudden the stocking horse bidder emerges with a signed asset purchase agreement. And now your bid has to be better than the stocking horse bid. It has to be better in terms of price. And in addition, it will, it will be required to cover both a break fee and usually the expense reimbursement of the stocking horse if the stocking horse is not the ultimate successful bidder. And these are called bid protections. So if you are a very interested purchaser um, who's participating in a CIS process that does in fact refer to the fact that they are entertaining a stocking horse that can be very advantageous for you as a purchaser. The reason being that as the stocking horse, your expenses can be covered. And if you're not the successful bidder, you can also receive a break fee and you will often receive security at the time you enter into the stocking horse asset purchase agreement for that expense reimbursement and covering your break fee. So that is the end of an M&A perspective on the CIS process. Denton's is a global law firm that provides services to clients worldwide through its member firms and affiliates. 
This episode isn't designed to provide legal or other advice, and you shouldn't take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Our speakers on this podcast or any other professionals in our group would be pleased to speak with you on today's topic or any other related topics. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for other episodes.